0: the truth news network from the world's bastion of freedom come new levels of repression suppression and silencing of true speech driven by a government of the people by the people and for the people i don't think so so how does the truth avoid being a casualty it finds an ally
1: the truth
0: news network And your conductor on this Underground Railroad is Dan Newman.
2: Well, good morning to you. Happy week. Yeah, we're in Christmas month. The time to celebrate, the time to be happy, to be with friends and family. This is a good time of year. For most folks, it is a good time of year. And I tell you what, we have so many things in our nation going on around us for which we can be upset and be sad. Let me just let me just challenge you right here. Your life is going to be as bad as you let it be. Did I really say that? Yeah, I did. I meant it. It's only going to be as bad as we allow it to be. We make choices. And if we make choices to look at our worlds like it's all bad or more bad than good, that's the way it's going to be. Our perception is the reality for us, folks. This is a really tough time of year. We say this every year when we enter Christmas month, December, because of memories. Everybody remembers all the good things, but this time of year, the bad things just seem to pop up and get in the way. And so just know this, as you're looking at Christmas coming up in three weeks, make some choices today, December 6th, make some choices today, choose to celebrate who you are, who you're with, who's with you, where you are. And consider this, you're blessed because you live in the greatest country on the planet. Yeah, we have our problems, but there's no other country on earth where I'd like to be. Haven't been to all of them, not nearly all of them, been to a few. But I can tell you, even the ones that I went to that are very, very advanced nations, still don't even touch the United States of America. This morning, our, our uh, hearts are warm for the widow and the daughter of former presidential candidate and Senator Bob Doe. He was a great man. He was a conservative, but he wasn't a great man just because he was a conservative. He was principled. He was an orator. He knew how to pull people together. If you remember, he ran against Bill Clinton in 1996 for president. Bill Clinton won re-election. And I didn't really know a lot about Bob Dole before that. I mean, he comes from the generation before mine. 98 years old he was when he passed away over the weekend. Death is always there, folks. It's always there. And I don't know about you, but unless we have a great rapture, and Jesus Christ comes back to the earth while you and I are alive, we're going out the same way Bob Dole did. It's inevitable. But let's deal with what's on the plate today. And let's trust the man in charge to make sure everything in our life is on target. And if it's not to let us know so we can get it on target, you know what I mean. Well, how did your weekend go? Let's see, I did a I did one game. I did a soccer game Friday night. I think I did two soccer games Friday night in a tournament. Our grand grandchildren, boys and girls, grandson, granddaughters, were in a soccer tournament this weekend. I think I did two Friday night and two Saturday. And uh they didn't win any game, unfortunately. But that's not the only thing that it's about. It's about being with other kids. They're in their, um, except for one who's still in junior high. The other, the other um, three are in high school. And you know the kind of pressure that kids feel at that, those ages. I mean, I can't imagine when I was young, which seems like a generation ago, and by the way, it was, we didn't face anything like these kids have. You know, we think they're spoil-rotten because they have internet, they have cell phone, they have satellite television, they have Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and all of the social media platforms. We think they're spoiled rotten But I got to be honest with you, I wish some of that had never been invented, or at least the ability for our kids to throw themselves into those things as diversions in life, opting instead of interacting with other children and uh, learning a lot more about the true things in life that truly matter. I don't care who you are and what you think, if somebody turned Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and TikTok and all of the other social media outlets for our kids, if they just flipped the switch and turned them off, I guarantee you that generation would be a lot better off in the long term. But it is what it is. So we have to do our best to continue to inject ourselves into their lives to give them a perspective that is different from theirs, no doubt, but one from which they can draw some really good things that you and I learned when we were young. That's the way we have to look at it. And oh, by the way, if you don't already do this and you have young kids as a parent, or if you have grandparents, if you have grandkids, if you're a grandparent, don't go by a day without saying a prayer for the, those kids or those grandkids because they need all the help they can get. I know this will probably come as a surprise to you, but the world kept turning while you and I were having our weekends and all of our activities. And as this world turns today, it's almost like you can weigh the balance of the globe on one side, good stuff. On the other side, bad stuff. And it seems like every weekend now, more bad stuff happens than good stuff. And there's still all kinds of controversy going on in governor and government. We're going to talk about a lot of things today. There's some news out on COVID-19, the new uh, variant out there, Omicron. And then there are some other things that we really need to get into. But I want to begin this morning talking about something that's hanging out there. And I don't understand this, but Democrats, especially the hard-left Democrats, will not let it go. Who is that and what's that? Well, it's it's about Donald Trump and it's the far left. They're still going after former President Donald Trump. And so I've tried to uh, be objective and look and research and find some justification for the cries that they're still making about former President Trump. And I come up empty. So we did some extensive research over the weekend here at Truth News Network and came up with some information that I want to share with you this morning to get the show started. Donald Trump, folks, regardless of what the Democrats in Congress and others across the nation have said for five years or longer, and they continue today, Donald Trump did not want to become a dictator, nor did he try anything at all while he was in office that showed that he had that kind of desire. Yet the leftist media, at the behest of their masters, of course, who were those, the Democrat Party power brokers during the campaign in 2016, then during the Trump administration, and continue even now, to rave about Trump's authoritarian and dictatorial desires and actions. There's no justification for it. They come up hollow when anybody asks. They start pointing to things that he said, not things that he did. And we're going to get into the entire thing, but where I want to start this morning... I want you to hear, just to remind you, some of the things that have been said in the past about Donald Trump as an authoritarian or a dictator. Great place to start. MSNBC, Lawrence O'Donnell. He even had a senator on the show, and they shared their thoughts about Trump and dictatorship. Donald Trump really seems to admire the heads of state
3: who do not have term limits. This president is totally dazzled by Vladimir Putin, by the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, by authoritarian leaders in countries like Brazil. He gets on the phone with them and he loses, he gets all googly eyed. Joining our discussion now, Brian Kloss, a columnist for the Washington Post and an assistant professor of global politics at the University College London. Brian, thank you very much for joining us tonight, really appreciate it. I wanna get your reaction to, to first of all, Donald Trump's attempt to create for himself a persona that resembles uh, the Putin persona uh, in Russia and leaders like him around the world?
4: Well, he has a serious case of dictator envy, I'd say. (laughs) Um, You know, Donald Trump is somebody who uh, uh, admires dictators, wants to emulate them, wishes he was freed of democratic constraints. He's spent the last two years doing his level best to try to careen through the norms and guardrails of democracy in america with banana republicans in congress driving the getaway car and it's been a car crash for the last couple of years, but there's still some damage to American democracy. And I think that's something we need to pay attention to. Um, you know, he's conditioning the American public also to accept authoritarian style politics that previously was unthinkable. And that is where he actually can do some serious damage, despite the fact that we are still a country of rule of law and that he can't simply prolong his uh, his term by two years.
3: Uh, I want to read uh, a, treat, a tweet by Lawrence Tribe that I found very powerful in relation to all of this. He said, uh, can you believe the world isn't screaming about the fact that Trump talked to Putin about Mueller, but refused to talk to Mueller about Putin? Which country is 45 loyal to? What oath did 45 take? Your reaction to that?
4: Well, it's, you know, one of the main things that the president is supposed to put at the center of their presidency is to protect the united states and at every turn when it came to russian information warfare attacks on the united states directed by the kremlin trump has sided against law enforcement trying to protect the united states um, you know to talk on the phone with vladimir putin and agree with him that it was a hoax when it was clearly not and it was directed perpetrated by vladimir putin himself and then to continue to praise him despite the fact that he's an authoritarian dictator, or to say that he is in love with Kim Jong-un, who murders people for sport and throws hundreds of thousands of people in gulags. And just a few days ago, Trump said, I'm with him. So, you know, I think this is a pattern of authoritarian style behavior that over time does condition the Republican party and Trump's base to accept unthinkable actions. And I think that's what's going to outlast Trump. He might lose in 2020. He might leave the White House in 2020. But that aspect of his presidency will linger on and will take root in the Republican Party after Donald Trump leaves the Republican Party or leaves the White House.
2: Can you believe that was actually said in the second year of the Trump presidency? When you uh, do some retroflexion and you go back and see what these people had to say, the circumstances that prompted them to say those things, it's unexplainable. Needless to say, O'Donnell and his guest, one of whom, the first one you heard, was Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, a Democrat, of course. They were dead set on perpetuating the farce that Trump colluded with Putin. And you heard the expert that was on there with Lawrence said, there's no contravention. It happened. The collusion was not a farce. And they claim that Trump was in collusion with Putin and that he was in awe of other dictators like Xi Jinping in China. But that was just one example. I mean, we could sit here all day and play you numerous sound bites of Democrats, leftists, even a few rhino Republicans who claimed that Donald Trump wanted to be a dictator. Former President Obama. He despises Donald Trump, even today. He talked down about Trump continuously, though he never faced him in a public fashion during that 2016 campaign when Trump was on the campaign trail against Hillary Clinton, or even after Trump won election. But he certainly went to great lengths to perpetuate Democrats' portrayal of Trump as one who pushed authoritarian principles. Do you remember this? Just before the 2020 election, Barack Obama, former President Barack Obama, assaulted Donald Trump about authoritarianism.
1: He's been coddling dictators for the last four years. And now apparently he says he might declare victory before all the votes are counted tomorrow. Don't boo, Boo. That's not something you want to hear in little Havana or, or little Haiti. That's not something that a leader of a democracy does. That's something a two bit dictator does. If you believe in democracy, you want every vote counted. If there was a Democrat who was behaving this way, the way our current president does, I couldn't support him. A Democrat who was lying every single day, I mean, the, the, the fact checkers can't keep up. It's like, just over and over again. You know, with Joe and Kamala, you're not going to have to think about them every single day. You're not going to have to argue about some crazy tweet that the president sent out this morning. It won't be so exhausting. You'll be able to go about your lives knowing that the president's doing his job instead of <laughs> suggesting we inject bleach. Uh, that the president's not going to retweet conspiracy theories that the Navy SEALs didn't actually kill bin Laden. We're not going to have a president who goes out of his way to, to insult people just because they don't agree with him. It's not normal behavior. South Florida, we wouldn't put up with this from a, a teacher or a high school principal or, a, or a, our co-worker. Why would we accept it from the president of the United States?
2: Former President Barack Obama, just before Election Day on 2020, And did you hear all the things that he brought up throwing rocks at Donald Trump? Most of those things, those rocks he threw were actually rocks that had been thrown at him by conservatives when he was president. As a matter of fact, it happened over and over and over again when he was president. You know who Representative Gerald Nadler, Democrat of New York, you know who he is. He's the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. And just in case you forgot, we call here at Truth News Network, Gerald Nadler, we call him Penguin in honor of the character of that same name from Batman the movie, played by actor Danny DeVito. Just thought I'd throw that in. In Trump's first impeachment trial, it sounds crazy to say that about any president. Oh, it was, it was only his first impeachment trial. Donald Trump was the and is the only U.S. president to be impeached twice. But in the first one, Gerald Nadler's committee was responsible as every time there's an impeachment, it has to initiate in the House of Representatives, and it starts in the House Judiciary Committee. Nadler's committee was responsible for doing this, the Articles of Impeachment against Trump. And of course, all the allegations against Trump were predicated on Democrats' single driving presumption that Trump wants to be a dictator. Here's Nadler in the judiciary, House Judiciary Committee hearing. So whether you think Congress
5: is behaving well or badly, whether it's popular or unpopular, if you want a dictator then you subvert the ability of Congress to hold, the accountable, to hold the executive in check. What is central here is, do we want a dictator? No matter how popular he may be, no matter how good or bad the results of his policies may be, no president is supposed to be a dictator in the United States. And when I hear colleagues of mine arguing that, co- that Congress is unpopular, and therefore obstruction of Congress is a good thing, this shows terrible ignorance, a lack of care for our institutions, for our democracy, for our form of government, for our liberties. I, for one, will protect our liberties, will do everything I can to protect our liberties, our democracy, our free and fair elections, and the separation of powers that says Congress and the President and the judiciary check each other, and no, nobody can be a dictator.
2: Nobody can be a dictator. And, of course, you got to remember this. We could could sit here all day and play you audio bite after audio bite of numerous people from the left doing this exact same thing. What were they trying to do? They weren't trying to scare Donald Trump because there was nothing there to scare him for. Everybody pretty much knew that. But that doesn't matter. They were driven by political cause. And what is their political cause? At the time, folks, it was singular in nature. Only this, to destroy the man that is in office that, according to their thinking, didn't deserve to be there, and he foiled their plans, Obama and Joe's plans that they initiated and got in place during their eight years in the presidency and the vice presidency because Hillary Clinton was supposed to take the baton. They were going to pass it to her. And then another generation of hard leftists would be in the White House for at least eight years. Trump comes in and he started doing the exact things that he promised the American people that he was going to do. He's the first presidential candidate in my lifetime that I can remember while campaigning all the things that the campaign, the candidate was promising during their campaign, he either did while he was president or he only stopped getting it done because Congress wouldn't go along. Everything else he did. And a huge segment of the American people saw that and they felt the same way I did. And many of you, this guy is going gonna to be the real deal. And he was. He wasn't politically appropriate in many people's eyes, but what he was, was honest, and he was doing his best that he could for the American people. So why is the push to portray Trump as an authoritarian continuing even today? After all, Trump was impeached twice, wasn't convicted either time by the Senate, and was defeated and I'll put defeated the word in quotation marks because the book's out. For most Americans, the book is still out on whether or not it really was a defeat for Trump back in 2020. Why did they continue the charade? Well, we're going to answer that question in just a few minutes. But first, as you heard Nadler in his address, um, hearing the cries of dictator aimed at Trump, they continue even today after He beat the impeachment trials. But even after he's been out of office for almost a year, those allegations against Trump, they're still going, folks. Why is that? Could it be that some instructions given to me by my very first real boss are true? What were they? Well, he told me that when others create and perpetuate a string of allegations at others about unconscionable atrocities, what's really happening is those people that are doing the finger pointing are usually guilty of the same wrongdoings while they're flinging their lies about others. Maybe there's some truth in that about this Trump and dictator and authoritarian craziness that still is being launched almost daily. Do you remember a time when any other president has so arrogantly and purposely pushed for the violation of federal laws? That's not Donald Trump, folks. It's President Joe Biden. I haven't forgotten that he was taught how to do that with examples of his cohort at the top of the government. Remember him? You just heard a bit from him. Barack Obama. Do you remember? In Obama-Biden's first term in office, the president instructed then Attorney General Eric Holder to stop prosecuting federal marijuana uh, marijuana possession laws? That seems like a benign thing. No big deal, Dan, right? Well, Obama swore an oath to the Constitution and the rule of law and to the American people. The U.S. rule of law does not give authority to anybody, no matter their title, no matter who they are, where they live, even if they live at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Nobody can purposely order others to ignore federal laws. The United States Congress passes every law, not any U.S. president. And Congress is the only governing authority that can edit, delete, or add new laws. So what did Holder do? He took the lead from his boss, and he did just that. He was emboldened by Obama's instructions— when the Fast and Furious operation was revealed in which Holder had authorized a gun-running scheme across our southern border, it was all to illegally sell guns to Mexico cartels. And of course, they kept all the serial numbers the federal government government did, the Border Patrol down south. The so-called purpose was to track those guns and then to determine who's gun-running when they caught them later. Well, I think you'll remember the plan didn't work too well. The cartels moved the guns, however and whenever, to whomever they wanted. Our Department of Justice was unsuccessful in tracking them until one thing happened. Brian Terry, an American Border Patrol agent, was shot and killed by cartel thugs using one of Holder's guns. So what happens when stuff like this occurs? Well, the overseeing body in government, they they wanted to look in, investigate, and find out what was going on in that. So Congress subpoenaed Eric Holder to appear and testify under oath about that incident and all about the program. The attorney general said, "Uh uh-uh, ain't coming. And then Congress subpoenaed all the fast and furious records from the Department of Justice. Holder said, "Uh uh-uh ain't sending it over. What happened to him then? It's kind of different from what's going on now. The Democrats, they have control of the entire government. Executive branch, which is where the Department of Justice, the FBI, all of those people sit in the executive branch. That means the top of the heap in the executive branch is the president there. So what happens What happened to Holder? Well, at that time, Democrats had total control. Republicans referred to a federal judge in D.C. They referred to Holder not abiding by those two subpoenas. And they referred him for criminal prosecution for doing so. And the judge wouldn't even take up the case. There were numerous examples of other attempts to subvert the rule of law during Obama and Biden and Obama's presidency. Their plan to continue this now under a new administration, that of Hillary Clinton, well, the Hillary Clinton administration didn't ever happen. It was foiled by you and I, anybody that pulled the lever for Trump, And now Biden is at the top of the heap. So let me ask you this. Here's a good one. Is Joe Biden the new guy who wants to be a dictator? So before anybody dismisses that possibility out of hand, let's look at a few things that have happened under Joe Biden's very brief presidency on his orders. Liberals are up in arm over the decision by a federal judge that prevents the Biden administration from reinstating the amnesty program known as DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, for new applicants, although the program may continue for those illegal aliens that are already within it. This is a very important court decision in slowing the trend toward an authoritarian executive. It says that a president cannot simply ignore existing immigration law outlining who may legally enter the country and grant administrative amnesty that comes with all kind of government benefits, by the way, to whomever that president, any president, Joe Biden, anything that he wants. Constitutional attorney and news show host Mark Levin stated this, when you have an open border, When you're allowing anybody to come in here, whether it's people from Haiti working their way from Chile into the United States or people from dozens and dozens of countries, it's authoritarian action. There are about 150 different countries or representative people coming across the border illegally. But whatever the number, if you refuse to enforce federal immigration law, you are violating the Constitution of the United States. Now, what Mark Levin said there, of course, was true, and you do know that anybody who does that, according to the Constitution and the basis in the Constitution for impeachment could be immediately enacted for any federal official that did that. Right now, in Congress where the House of Representatives must initiate any impeachment actions, what do you hear out of the House of Representatives about this wrongdoing by Joe Biden? Crickets. Nothing. In fact, they applaud it. And then, Acting Department of Homeland Security Secretary under Biden, David Peskoski, sent an operational memorandum to the leadership of ICE, and also Customs and Border Protection, also Citizenship and Immigration Services. This memorandum functionally ends all immigration enforcement and will result in dangerous criminals escaping justice and walking our streets, of which there are already hundreds of thousands doing that. The memo instructs those agencies to ignore the law as referenced in the Immigration and Nationality Act, a law that was, by the way, enacted by who? By Congress, and signed into law by a president. It directs them to ignore written statute and a federal judge's order regarding a person that has had due process at great taxpayer expense. Both of these instructions clearly represent a violation of law. And then there's this. Just recently, the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals took Biden head-on regarding his, through the OSHA agency, his vaccine mandates. The court's opinion came when the Biden administration challenged a Texas law that made it illegal for any entity to force employees to be vaccinated. Here's what the stay read in part, quote, The court affirms that the act that created OSHA was not and likely could not be under the Commerce Clause and non-delegation doctrine intended to authorize a workplace safety administration in the deep recesses of the federal bureaucracy to make sweeping pronouncements on matters of public health affecting every member of society in the profoundest of ways. And they continued, and irrespective, the mandate itself is fatally flawed because its strained prescriptions combined to make it the rare government pronouncement that is both over-inclusive, applying to employees and employers in virtually all industries and workplaces in America with little or no attempt to account for the obvious differences between the risk facing say a security guard on a lonely night shift and a meat packer working shoulder to shoulder in a cramped warehouse and at the same time it's underinclusive purporting to save employers with 99 or more co-workers from a grave danger in the workplace while making no attempt to shield employees with 98 or fewer co-workers from the very same threat Biden is rooting out all the rules and regulations that his predecessor established in the defense of religious freedom. In early November, just last month, the DHS rescinded Donald Trump's rule that protects religious foster care and adoption agencies. Biden seeks to cut off federal funding to any such agencies that do not conform to his LGBTQ agenda. Doing so is a direct violation of the U.S. Constitution First Amendment. Biden authorized the DOJ, Department of Justice, to implement plans to, through the authorization of the FBI, coordinate with local and state law enforcement authorities surveillance of U.S. parents across the country to identify those who are inclined, I love that word, somebody's inclined to take physical actions against education administrators and authorities. The instigation of these instructions by the president, that alone was a plethora of parents across the nation, this is the reason for it, he said, who lawfully and peacefully executed the First Amendment rights to freedom of speech, and that gave them and anybody a right to confront public school board members for their implementation of textbooks, videos, lectures that included sexual perversion, homosexuality, nudity, and pedophilia without even discussing it with parents to get their input. Let me just wrap it up. If any of the hundreds of thousands who read this story today, if anybody listening in, anybody reading, anytime later, today or afterwards, if you want to provide material evidence that shows that former President Trump actually instigated any actions as president that showed authoritarianism or that he was seeking sole power overall in this nation, respond to the written story on our website with the evidence of that, and we're going to publish it. Numerous people who voted for Trump once or twice had issues with him. I personally did not like his messaging process, but after even sent him a letter requesting it, sent a letter to him showing my total support. But after a month or so, I realized something: his messaging methods resonated with tens of millions of Americans who longed for someone in the White House who could knowledgeably speak to the needs of the bulk of Americans, not just a few, and then did just that. Trump was her guy. No logical person can argue that Democrats, and most Democrats, are set on seizing total control of our institutions, our corporations, and our lawmaking system to do that to perpetuate their universal power and authority and government permanently again if you disagree with that i welcome anybody to show and present evidence that proves otherwise send it and we'll publish it so what do we have here today we have a democrat party that is tyrannical they want to change They want to change our voting system so they can never lose elections. They want to nationalize red states so they can't put in their own voting systems. And that's just, I mean, that's just a glimpse. Just think about everything else they're doing. We now understand why our forefathers were so forceful to guarantee the federal government never took the power of government from the American citizenry. They codified that by drafting the first 10 amendments and adding it legally into the U.S. Constitution. And those 10, the Bill of Rights, tell the government what the people will never give up to the government. Now, because of what you heard and read today, if you're reading this story, if you're listening, you should tremble a little bit. Tremble. I said that, the T word, tremble not the possibility, but the probability that this administration is seeking to diminish the rule of law and along with it, the balance of the rights that are owned by the American people. Think about it this way. I'm going to ask a question to end this. Is there anything the Biden administration and this Congress, anything, anything they have done or tried to do to expand individual liberty? And it's an easy answer, folks. You can't name a single thing. Why can't you name a single thing? Nothing Joe Biden has done. Nothing, when when his run-up, his campaign to the election, November 2020, nothing he has done speaks to Americans' individual liberties. It speaks to oppressiveness. That's only something a dictator would try.
0: From Krakow to Grand Island, Milan to Hanoi, this is TNN, the Truth News Network. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. Walk, crawl, or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries was four seventy-nine, now just two ninety-nine
3: What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at WeAreGolden.
5: Look out, world. We got it from here.
2: interesting at the top of the show in our intro I talked about this being a month of positivity you know a month of giving a month of sharing and being together and then we jump right into this thing and I think it's it's important for everyone to understand more and more comes into the marketplace of ideas daily that proves this government I'm not just talking about the Biden administration I'm talking about the Pelosi led house uh, the Chuck Schumer led senate even a lot of the Um, administration offices and operations like the Department of Justice, uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garland, he's in the tank far left. Somebody's telling him all the things to do. And I got to be honest with you, if I had an extra $1,000, I would almost be willing to bet that Eric Holder from the Obama concave there in D.C. is calling the shots in the Department of Justice. Really, I can't see Merrick Garland. Have you seen him testifying before Congress? Did you pay attention to those Senate and House hearings that he went to last month? And he testified? Many of the things the members of Congress were questioning him about, things that had his signature on them, documents, memos, he didn't know anything about. And that can only happen if if it was one of two things or maybe both. One, he was too stupid to remember and has cognitive disability. The other is if he really didn't know. Somebody was doing it in his name and putting it out. Folks, that's a scary scenario for all of us out here that think that government has got to take care of us and that they're going to take care of us. So what is Joe Biden actually doing? Well, let's just talk about what he has done and he's disavowing that he has done. First, he took credit for the drop in the wholesale oil prices through his largest ever release of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. You remember that last month? Oh, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to put enough oil out of the U.S. reserves that we have. You know, we have it stored up for a rainy day. And of course it sounded, I mean it was millions of barrels, I forget what it was, 50 I think, 50 million barrels, that is a lot of oil. But when it comes to U.S. consumption, that's only enough oil for a little over two days. And he said that at the same time he was encouraging India, Japan, the U.K., even China to do the same thing. Though he did admit that China hadn't Done it yet. (laughs) This, he said, caused oil and gas prices to drop, saying, since the end of October, the average weekly price of gasoline on the wholesale market has fallen around 10 cents. Well, of course, there's no, and it hadn't fallen 10 cents, 10%, folks. The actual price at the pump where you and I pay, that was a blip when it went down 2 cents. And then it's dropped a little since then, but that's not from the oil he put out in the marketplace. That's from market requirements. Free market goes up and it goes down. Meanwhile, of course, no word from him or anybody else in his administration on their war on domestic oil and gas, including canceling the Keystone XL pipeline, ramping up regulatory uncertainty, What did they do and how did they do that? Proposed an economically devastating methane rule. At the same time, he's encouraging Russia's Putin to produce more energy and giving them the green light to Western Europe's growing dependency on Russian national gas by dropping efforts to prevent the completion of Putin's Nordstrom two gas pipeline that's under the Baltic Sea. That's the one that Trump put requirements on that stopped that from being done. Why would any president let Putin have more power over Europe, our allies? That pipeline flows through Russia. Let's don't get away from oil. We continue. Biden claimed that retail gas hasn't fallen as much as they should. The prices, retail prices typically, lag declines in wholesale prices. So he said this, I've asked the Federal Trade Commission to consider whether potentially illegal and anti-competitive behavior in oil and gas is causing higher prices for consumers when they don't need to be that high because the wholesale prices have come down so much. So we can assure the American people Americans are paying a fair price for gas. This um, artistic deflection from facts, it's a well-worn political playbook. When politicians and the bureaucrats they empower take measures that make energy more expensive, through things like requiring special gas formulations discouraging the construction of additional refinery capacities, preventing new oil production, carbon taxes, etc. Those are all Biden things, by the way. It results in what? Higher cost of energy. That's the point. That was a goal all along. But higher energy costs are unpopular with the public, so they've got to invent a boogeyman so they can deflect the public attention from their own complicitness in causing these higher prices how did they do that they claim the companies have engaged in collusion kind of like donald trump couldn't beat hillary the only way he could do it is colluding with russia the modern oil and gas refining and distribution industry is very competitive folks as a result these investigations amount to no more than theater When she was California's Attorney General in 2016, VP Kamala Harris launched an investigation claiming oil producer price collusion while that state's Governor Gavin Newsom did so again in 2019 and both investigations found there wasn't any. And then what about this supply chain thing? Now Joe tells us the supply chains are sped up, his words. Stores are well-stocked. Biden's next whopper happened a minute later as he was talking up his administration's efforts to fix the supply chain. The shelves of our stores are going to be well-stocked, he said. We've sped up operations at our ports. For example, the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, the two busiest ports in America— Over the last month, the number of containers left sitting on the docks for over eight days is down by 40%. What does that mean? It means that the products are no longer sitting on the docks. They're getting off the docks, being loaded in the trains and the trucks and the vehicles to get them to the store shelves for Christmas. This is an incredible success story, he said. And then he added this. We're heading into holiday season in strong shape. We averted this potential crisis by figuring out what needed to be fixed and when we brought together the people that had the capacity to fix it or at least alleviate it. So let's get back to the main claim bolstered by data that shipping containers sitting on the docks for over 8 days is down by 40%. Well, the number of containers not moving out of the heavily unionized, regulated, and notoriously non-automated ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach could drop because more are moving out, or the number could drop for other reasons. Here we go. Facts matter. On December 1st, it was reported that Vessel's wait times in Southern California are averaging 26 to 30 days compared to Houston at 2 to 6 days. But the smoking gun comes from a shipping industry publication that just happened to report on November 30th that, quote, the Port of Los Angeles is forecasting import volumes in the week of November 21st to 27th to drop 41.1%. Why? Because U.S. import volumes were at least temporarily easing, as most pre-holiday cargoes have already shipped. And many Chinese factories were operating at about 60 to 70% capacity because of power and labor shortages. So the 40% drop in containers sitting around was predicted and was due. And it happened not to, to the Herculean effort of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, but rather to a 41.1% drop in imports caused in part to labor and energy shortage in China. That's an uh uh-oh, another one for President Biden. And then, oh gosh, the gross one, this Build Back Better program that's over at the, the Senate. Build Back Better will cut cost, he said. He claimed that this massive proposed spending bill would address the need to cut costs further for U.S. families. This would include lower costs for child care. A family of four would see $7,400 in tax cuts and savings, he claimed. Biden said this would be done. How? Well, he's going to, I love this, ask corporations and wealthy Americans to pay their fair share. So what's their fair share? Well, he defined it for them paying a minimum 15% tax that would, among other things, pay to provide universal preschool for every three- and four-year-old in the nation. What's better? Biden asks, lower taxes or better-educated workforce in the future? <laughs> there are few, if any, studies that account for socioeconomic factors that even suggest that preschool bestows any lasting academic benefit rather by third grade or so there is no difference in math and reading scores between kids who went to preschool compared to those who didn't in American public schools so why the push for universal preschool well other than simply pouring federal money at an issue resulting in a decline in private and religious preschools and a likely increase in the workforce The Democrats get one massive benefit from boosting public education from 13 years to 15 years. A 15% increase in dues-paying members of teachers' unions worth hundreds of millions of dollars of additional election assistance at the federal, state, and local levels. How can you say that? Uh, Who were the biggest contributors to the Joe Biden 2020 campaign? Biggest by far. Labor unions. One of the biggest, well, two of the biggest, the two big national teachers unions. They'll be able to get more union dues because you and I are going to pay for these kids for two more years, three and four year olds. We're going to pay for their education preschool. Taxpayers pay for it. It ends up in campaign pockets. That's how we roll, folks. That's how we roll. (laughs) He's not a dictator wannabe. Donald Trump was and is. Hey, you want to weigh in today? 866-37-TRUTH 866-378-7884 We can't have a conversation today unless we get into the COVID-19 stuff. This Omicron variant, it's just set the world on fire. And every day, more and more. I I did, but right before we went live on the air this morning, I checked out to see how many people have died from COVID-19 slash Omicron. Not a one. And don't think for a second if there was one anywhere on planet Earth We wouldn't know about it instantly. Immediately, it would be broadcast all over the world. There aren't any. So, one of these real experts, not a conservative guy, Dr. Harvey Risch, you've seen him before, you've heard him before. He's a professor of epidemiology at Yale. At Yale, he's a guy that's smart, folks. He's a guy that knows about this kind of stuff. Folks, this this pandemic has has been one of fear. Not totally, because there is no doubt COVID-19 has been and is and can be deadly. No doubt about it. But I would venture to guess and say 90% of everything we have been told that are factual, and we only find out later that, we were grossly misinformed. This whole thing manufactured by individuals who were in the nominal positions of authority as the virus began to spread across the globe a year ago. seems like it's been five or six years. Over the weekend, Rish, on a uh, television show, argued that by and large, what has characterized the entire COVID virus pandemic has been a degree of fear and how people have responded to the fear. Riss said, overall, I'd say that we've had a pandemic of fear and fear has affected almost everybody, whereas the infection has affected relatively few. By and large, it's been a very selected pandemic and predictable, he said. It was very distinguished between young versus old healthy versus chronicled disease people, so we quickly learned who was at risk for the pandemic and who wasn't. However, the fear was manufactured for everybody. And that's what's characterized the whole pandemic, is that degree of fear and people's response to the fear, not the facts, the fear. And who's out there sowing fear among the populace every day? Well, it begins at the top, Joe Biden. And then right below Joe, I think, is Dr. Anthony Fauci. Harvey Risch, Dr. Risch, has authored more than 300 original peer-reviewed publications and was formerly a member of the Board of Editors for the American Journal of Epidemiology. He kind of knows what he's talking about. He suggested that individuals who held those positions of authority during this pandemic initially spread a much worse picture of the dire nature of the virus that was warranted it wasn't warranted he said they shouldn't have done that that included the message that everybody was at risk anybody could die from contracting the virus and that everybody needed to stay in their homes to protect themselves and in doing that this of course would protect society people were scared to death of that message as anybody would be with the government with authorities, with scientists, scientific people, medical people and authority in the public health institutions. Everybody was saying the same message starting in about February or March of last year, 2020. And so we all kind of believe this, he said. In the first two months of the pandemic, stringent lockdowns and mask mandates were implemented to curb the transmission of COVID in the U.S. and even around the globe. Riss said that the types of messages issued by authorities led to widespread heightened anxiety levels and all-out fear. All of our anxiety levels were raised. We all made choices to curtail to some different degrees the way we were exposed to other people, some more than others, but I think everybody had levels of fear and anxiety that really impacted how they carry out their lives at the time. I think it was universal, don't you? Meanwhile, President Biden has said that 96 to 98% of Americans need to be vaccinated against COVID before the nation can go back to normal, continuing consistently, continuing, perpetuating the rhetoric that unvaccinated Americans are to blame for slowing down the nation's economic recovery. According to data from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, as of two days ago, Saturday, just over 70% of American adults were fully vaccinated against the virus. 23.9% had received a booster shot. Principally, folks, because of fear. And if you listen to this show, if you read our stories, if you, if you look and listen and watch and read with an open mind of every other news outlet that reports about COVID-19 and everything related to it, you're hearing the opposite side of the story. You're hearing the propagation of one thing and one thing only. Not facts. Fear. Fear. In a totalitarian nation, leaders found out centuries ago the way to install any kind of control over the population in any country is to find a way to scare them to death and make them believe that you, the government, are the only source for the reality, the news, the information of anything going on, everything going on in the nation at that time, and that for all of the bad stuff, whatever it is at the time, the government. These totalitarian rulers are the only source for answers and for whatever is needed to take care of the problems. And you're gonna be fine as long as you listen to us.
4: Hi, welcome to the subway ad for the
3: 399 six inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home?
2: Weird.
0: I like it.
3: <laughs> DJ Sandwich in the house. What did he saying. 3 I called the EMT. How much? 3 99 99
4: Bingo! you want. Limited time in participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. American ladders and scaffolds. Deal with the experts. Scaffolding, rental, and setup. Installation of truck racks, rear truck caps, tonneau covers, and van shelving. Foam protection. Ladder and scaffold training and inspections, little giant ladders, custom access ladders and guardrails for commercial buildings. American Ladders and Scaffolds, delivery everywhere, every day. American
0: Ladders and Scaffolds, we take you higher, we take you higher.
1: Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your buck. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer.
5: What up, y'all? It's DJ Envy, and I'm teaming up with Turtle Wax this summer to make sure your rides are clean, shiny, protected, and even disinfected. Because whether you're hitting the streets or heading out on the highway to the beach, Turtle Wax will make sure your vehicle is looking, smelling, and feeling amazing. Turtle Wax is the only brand that I trust with my fleet of supercars. And y'all know how many cars I keep in my garage, right? Check out TurtleWax.com to learn more, and be sure to buy now at TurtleWax.com or anywhere you shop for car care.
2: You remember going to ball games? I think it was—it was almost exclusively at one point. It was in basketball games, and at timeout, you always heard this this song, and in no words. There's, well, there's a few of those "Heys." <laughs> there we go. Sounds like college basketball to me. Oh, great memories there. Hey, do you know? that as these coronavirus vaccines and boosters they proliferate across the U.S., that many millions of Americans are still living under very strict mask mandates, principally in major cities and even in entire states, and on all types of public transportation. That's per federal government mandate. In fact, Biden was scheduled to lift the uh, mandate mandate For being masked on trains and planes, but in the face of this new horror show, the Omicron, he left the mask mandates in place. In many cases, folks, there's no plan that has been revealed to roll back these mask rules. Washington, D.C. still has a mask mandate for indoor public places, no matter your vaccination status. So does Los Angeles County. Oregon, we find out over the weekend, has a mask mandate regardless of vaccine status for indoor settings and outdoor settings where social distancing isn't possible. Washington state mandates masks indoor and at outdoor events with 500 or more people. Illinois has a mask mandate for indoor settings. And just that incomplete list of cities I gave you and states, encompasses about thirty million people. The CDC also recommends Vax people wear mask indoors. Can you believe that? That is unfreaking believable to me. You wear a mask indoors. In most places it may make sense if it's in a big crowd, but indoor and outdoor? Uh, I just don't get it. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky argued for mask wearing just last week, said it can help reduce cold and flu risk as well. The CDC mandates that anybody who uses public transportation or flies commercial got to wear a mask, regardless of transmission rates. Many of these mandates were snapped back into place amid rising cases over the summer after the vaccines first became available. But as cases start to plateau, experts say COVID may be here to stay at some level. Many are asking whether it's time to get rid of such measures unless the United States would never return to normal. We may have a baseline rate of COVID cases hovering around where they are now in the Southeast forever. That's Marty McCary, He's a professor at Johns Hopkins. He said in an interview over the weekend, we're entering an endemic phase. And the question we need to ask as a society is, do we want a perpetual society with people masked? In the context of what we know here, what we know from the scientist, and I say the word scientist with a bit of hesitation because what I'm about to tell you actually is published at the CDC website and it is a comprehensive analysis of 47 different controlled laboratory tests, 47 of every type of mask, medical mask or other kinds of mask in existence at the time and currently today, 47 different ones each of those 47 different test results clearly state cloth mask and any other kind of mask besides an N95 mask in which the user is using oxygen with that mask. There is no other kind of mask that is effective at stopping COVID-19, either transmissing or receiving. That's from the scientist. That's from the scientist himself. Dr. Anthony Fauci last week, I represent science, he said, on his website. No, you don't. Mask mandates don't work. And the emotional and psychological devastation of having your face covered forever and those of the people around you are devastating. We don't even know how deep that runs. But what we do know, because of the science, masks don't work. Yet here we are. We're masked up. Let me tell you what else apparently is not nearly as effective as we were told. At least 10 cases of COVID have been reported on a Norwegian cruise line that disembarked from New Orleans. All of the crew members all of the passengers taking part in the cruise have been fully vaccinated for COVID-19. That's the two shots, no matter what vaccination they receive. And that's from the Louisiana Department of Health. They didn't reveal the conditions of those who are infected with the virus, but every person that has the virus has been double vaxxed. Governor John Bell Edwards, The Louisiana Department of Health, the City of New Orleans, and the Port of New Orleans are aware of this and working, we're told, closely with the CDC to initiate existing COVID-19 agreements and protocols with the cruise line. The Norwegian breakaway cruise ship left New Orleans November 28, making stops in Mexico, Honduras, Honduras, and Belize. They were set to reach New Orleans on December 5th. That's according to its itinerary. Authorities with the Department of Health stated that more than 3,200 people were on the boat. Norwegian Cruise Lines has been adhering to appropriate quarantine and isolation protocols as new cases and exposures have been identified aboard this vessel. Everyone on board is going to be tested for COVID before leaving, and will be provided with post-exposure and quarantine public health guidance by the CDC. Those who test positive will either travel to their homes or self-isolate according to CDC guidelines. And what the heck is going on here? I'll tell you what's not going on here. Our government officials are not being truthful with us. They're not being truthful, folks. They're not giving us the facts about this. And what are they doing? They're scaring us to death. They are scaring us to death. And that, my friends, is what their purpose is, to scare us to death. Oh, my gosh. And then there's the story about this this COVID-19 patient that was in the hospital really dying from COVID-19. He's an elderly guy, but he's not dying anymore. He has recovered. Listen to this story. Why did he beat COVID-19 when he was he was scheduled to die? They had no hope for him. Well, it happened after a court order that allowed him to be treated with the drug ivermectin. Oh no. Oh my gosh. Remember that that drug for farm animals and he got treated with ivermectin besides he was being told by the hospital in which he was staying his family was that they were not going to give him ivermectin after an Illinois hospital insisted on giving him remdesivir and they did and the treatment failed his life was saved but not until a court ordered that an outside medical doctor be allowed to use ivermectin to treat him over the hospital's strenuous objections. They went to court to try to stop it. That in spite of the fact that all of the arguments and stuff should stop right here. Ivermectin has been approved by the Drug Administration, FDA, to treat humans with intestinal strong loidiasis condition that is caused by parasitic worms. Some topical forms of ivermectin have been approved to treat external parasites like head lice and for skin conditions such as rosacea. The drug is also approved for use on animals. Remdesivir, remember this? It's been given emergency use authorization only by the FDA. It's still in EUA status for treating certain categories of human patients that have been hospitalized with COVID. But the use of ivermectin to treat humans suffering from COVID has become controversial because the FDA hasn't approved its so-called off-label use to treat the disease. Critics have long accused the FDA of dragging its heels, being dangerously overcautious and indifferent to human suffering in its approach to regulating all pharmaceuticals. That was a criticism that led to then-President Trump signing the Right to Try Act in May of 2018. That law, according to the FDA, quote, "...is another way for patients who have been diagnosed with life-threatening diseases or conditions, who have tried all approved treatment options, and who are unable to participate in a clinical trial, to access certain unapproved treatments." So because of that, medical doctors are free to prescribe ivermectin to treat COVID, even though the FDA claims that its off-label use could be harmful in some circumstances. No laboratory testing, no mention of the fact that in 2015, the inventors of ivermectin, two doctors, won the Nobel Prize for Medicine, but the FDA claims that Its off-label use, ivermectin, could be harmful in some circumstances. The drug most definitely saved that guy's life, because his condition changed immediately after he took ivermectin. Soon, Ni, seventy-one, who was visiting the U.S. from Hong Kong to celebrate his granddaughter's first birthday, he got sick with COVID. Within days, was close to death. Hospitalized October 14th at Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. His condition worsened dramatically and quickly. He was intubated, placed on a vent just two days later. Ni's only child, Mon Quang Ni, who holds a doctoral degree in mechanical engineering, she did her own research. Found out her father should take ivermectin. Of course, what do you do then? You go talk to the doctors. Against the daughter's wishes, the hospital refused to give him ivermectin and denied access to a doctor from outside the hospital that was willing to come administer it. Daughter went to court. November 1, Judge Paul Fullerton of the Circuit Court of DePage County granted a temporary restraining order requiring the hospital to allow ivermectin to be given to the patient. The hospital refused to comply. So, another hearing four days later, Fullerton, the judge, said one doctor who testified described Sun Knee as basically on his deathbed with a mere 10 to 15% chance of survival. Ibermectin can have minor side effects like dizziness, itchy skin, diarrhea, and the dosage that is suggested for Knee, those things might happen. But the risk of these side effects are so minimal that the guy's current situation outweighs that risk by 100-fold. That's what the judge said. So he issued a preliminary injunction that day directing the hospital to immediately allow temporary emergency privileges to knee's physician, Dr. Alan Bain, solely to administer ivermectin to this patient. The hospital resisted. Can you believe this? Two days, November 6th, November 7th, denying Bain access to the patient. The hospital claimed it couldn't let Bain in because he wasn't vaxxed against COVID-19 and that its chief medical officer wasn't available to proctor, in other words, watch, supervise Bain administering ivermectin. So the daughter's attorneys, what'd they do? They filed an emergency report with the court. Judge Fullerton heard it from both sides on November 8th. What did the judge do? Well, he, he got in the faces of those representing the hospital. He restated that it must allow Bain inside over a period of 15 days to do his job. So when the hospital filed a motion to stay that order, Fullerton denied it, again directing the facility to comply. Ivermectin worked. Son, Nhi, has recovered from COVID-19. He was just charged by the hospital two weeks ago. So I'm giving you this story again to admonish you to understand what's happening. And this story, yeah, it's obvious. It's obvious this guy needed something other than remdesivir and the drugs this hospital was giving him, obviously, because he was dying. And he was only given ten to fifteen percent of leave it, of, of living. Why wouldn't this hospital? Why wouldn't any hospital agree? We can't do anything about it. We're going to back away. If you've got a better idea, let us know about it. We'll comply. We'll work with you for it. In the old days, folks, that's exactly what happened. But now, for some reason, in the COVID nineteen world, hospitals around the nation they are getting their, what they call their medical protocols for every type of condition a patient comes in with. And all of their protocols are, I mean, they're, they're, they're in concrete. They can't be changed top to bottom. Everybody that's going to work on patients, anybody with any kind of condition, this is what you have to do. Not only what you have to do, but in what order you have to do it. And they're ironclad. They will not stray away from that and the scary thing is now even if it means you're going to die they're going to refuse you the ability to make a decision for your loved one or even the patient for anything that is outside their in concrete set hard unchangeable protocols protocols for COVID-19 when a person reaches the condition that Mr. Knee did Remdesivir, they did that. Remdesivir didn't work. You know what I'm about to say to you is, is really a sad situation. But the best the best health care you can get for COVID-19 when a person is in this situation and the hospital has done and they've worked their protocol to the end and there's nothing your person is about to die or is in very critical condition, take them out of the hospital. Take them out of the hospital. Get your doctor, your doctor, not the one that is wait, waiting on your loved one in the hospital, but your personal physician, your loved one's personal physician. And get them to pull them out of the hospital and take over care. Get them in hospice so that that person can be treated Not based on the protocol of a hospital, but based on the protocol of getting this person well, keeping this person from dying. And if your loved one's physician is not one that believes in hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, especially as a last resort, get another doctor. Get another doctor. Folks, both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin work. There are millions of examples now around the world where they work. They may not work for everybody. They may not work for COVID patients in various degrees of seriousness in their illness, but in far more than half of the cases in which they're injected into the lives of these patients, they work. They work. So in the shadow of this uh, I won't say dictator wannabe, but authoritarian wannabe, Joe Biden. Regardless, and in the wake of what he said about Omicron travel bans for those nations in southern Africa, he got blasted around the world for it. one of the one of the nations he included was Mozambique, and according to the doctor, in an African country, not Mozambique, but one right there. No case, not a single case of Mozambique. In Mozambique, there was no Omicron there. No hospitalization anywhere in the southern part of Africa for COVID-19. Not one. So Biden and Fauci, they both started getting some heat over here. Like, why the heck are you doing what you're doing? You need to reconsider it. In fact, people around the world, they blasted, in many cases, blasted Joe Biden for putting in those travel bans. There was no evidence to justify it. So Dr. Fauci yesterday, as he always does every week, he makes the rounds or he goes to one of the big Sunday morning talk shows. And I like he got politically correct. I like what he did. He told the people on this show, CNN State the the Nation, that the Biden administration is re-evaluating travel bans it put in place, re-evaluating them. Fauci said that the administration feels very badly about the impact caused by the travel restrictions imposed on South Africa and a handful of other neighboring countries and said the administration is re-evaluating the restrictions on a daily basis. We all feel very badly about the hardship that might have been put upon not only South Africa, but the other African countries. And for that reason, in real time, literally on a daily basis, we're reevaluating that policy. You and I both know why that policy was put in place in the first place. Fauci told him to. Fauci told him to. Joe Biden, last week, when he was questioned about all of the people that were giving him information and who he responded to and who he spent time with and who he talked to, he laughingly said, I guess number one would be Tony Fauci. My wife would say maybe he shouldn't be, but maybe it's Tony Fauci. You know good and well Fauci's the one that told Biden, shut him down. Southern Africa, shut him down. Don't let him come to the U.S. In response, dozens of countries around the world, including Australia, Brazil, Canada, Iran, Japan, Thailand, European countries closed their borders or imposed restrictions on a slew of southern African countries. Not because of facts, because of political partisan narrative from the COVID God. Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now, he'll tell you, if if he was sitting here and I accused him of that, he would say, I don't have that kind of authority. I couldn't do it if I wanted to do it. No, but what he does, he's in the ear perpetually of Joe Biden. And what he does, he has that impact. Biden himself said he talks to Fauci all the time, maybe even more than Dr. Jill. You can bet Fauci put that in Biden's craw, and that's why it was done. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to show you one more paradox. One more thing that we're watching happen in the Biden administration. It's, it, it's not devastating. I don't think it's it's uh, life critical or anything like that. But it it illustrates Joe Biden is not the one. He cannot be the one making all these decisions. He relies on others. Who the others are, I don't know. But I can tell you this. If I was sitting on, say, the House Judiciary Committee or the House Oversight Committee or even the Parallel Committee in the U.S. Senate, I would demand to know who is in Biden's ear. Where and from whom is he getting the instructions that he's putting out to people Americans at every yolk. Who's calling the shots? One thing I can tell you, it ain't Joe Biden. We'll dig in after this.
4: The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. Today on Hey Culligan, Softer equals
0: Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network.
2: This news just came out, the details of it, this morning on Morning Joe on MSNBC. Morning Joe and New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio got together, and de Blasio dropped a bomb on the people of New York City. He issued what he termed a preemptive strike, a preemptive strike mandating that all private sector employees, every private sector employee in the Big Apple, has to be vaccinated against COVID-19 amid the new threat posed by Omicron beginning two days after Christmas. Now remember this, de Blasio, he's about to leave office. He was not able to rerun for election, he term limited it out, he's leaving the mayor's office, and on his way out, he's doing this. And here's his justification. We've got Omicron as a new factor. We've got the colder weather, which is going to really create additional challenges with the Delta variant. We've got holiday gatherings, de Blasio said. We in New York City have decided to use a preemptive strike to really do something bold to stop the further growth of COVID-19. Now, anybody that knows anything about Bill de Blasio, there is no we. There is no we. This is all about dictator Bill de Blasio. A preemptive strike. He described the move as his first in the nation to cover all private sector employers in New York City with the requirement. We're going to have other measures as well to focus on maximizing vaccinations quickly so we can get ahead of Omicron and all the other challenges we're facing right now because of COVID, he said. His office said it is broadening what they have called key to NYC. It's their program requiring proof of vaccination for indoor dining, fitness, and entertainment, expanding the measures to include, by the way, five to 11-year-olds. De Blasio's office said about 20% of that age group is vaccinated. Beginning the 14th, a week and a day from now, the program will require kids aged five to 11 to show proof of one vaccination dose for those venues. And starting December 27th, New Yorkers aged 12 and older got to show proof of two vaccine doses instead of one, except for those who have received the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Get that shot by 1214 for our youngest New Yorkers, de Blasio's press secretary tweeted. De Blasio also announced five to eleven year old kids are going to be required to get vaxxed to participate in high risk extracurricular activities. What does that include? Sports, band, orchestra, and dance. The requirement for the initial vaccine dose is set to take effect on December the 14th. Now, there are all kinds of legal actions that are underway in federal courts and state courts across the country. There have been some stays put in that have dropped the bomb and put the pause, at least for a period of time, on the vaccine mandates, both in the federal government in uh, state and local governments, the requirements of employees. And in the midst of that, de Blasio, on his way out of office, has the unmitigated gall to just show further what a dictator wannabe he actually is and has been and why he did not even poll at 1% when he in the very early stages decided to run for president of the United States in the run up to the 2020 election. Just think about what that's doing to all those people that live there. Not just the people that own restaurants and entertainment, other entertainment places, not just for them, but what about these kids? They can't go anywhere without being vaxxed and wearing a mask. Why even be vaccinated at all? Why? Vaccinated people are spreading COVID-19 just like unvaccinated people. That's a scientific fact. It's been proven, but of course the mainstream media, they're not even going to mention that to you. And in many cases, in Israel as an example, the majority of people that are in their hospitals, including in intensive care units, With COVID 19, are those who are fully vaccinated? Not some of folks, the majority of those. What's that all about? Nobody here in the US is even talking about it. Anthony Fauci doesn't talk about it. You know what else? Nobody in the mainstream media, nobody in the conservative media has taken upon themselves to confront Anthony Fauci. How is that happening, Dr. Fauci? If people are fully vaccinated and more of those people are in the hospital, many dying from COVID-19 that have been double-vaxxed. I would think a real journalist, a real journalist, would at least bring that up, right? So what about Joe Biden? Is there anything going on in his life besides COVID? Well, he did, and he reminds everybody, In 2020, he campaigned on empathy, something that he said Donald Trump, who was then his enemy in the election run for 2020, Donald Trump doesn't have any empathy. Biden campaigned on empathy. Empathy. But yet, he probably thinks that nobody notices he hasn't visited not a single one of the communities across the nation that have experienced those gut-wrenching tragedies that have happened, by the way, on his watch. Remember this? This is in February, a year ago. Empathy matters, he said. Compassion matters. We have to reach out to one another and heal this country. That's what I'll do as president. His campaign to restore the soul of America and to heal this country leaned heavily on his personal story of loss, He lost his wife in a car accident, and he lost his eldest son, Beau Biden. The president claimed that former President Trump never said anything that approaches any kind of sincere expression of empathy for the people who are hurting. Yet Biden hadn't gone, visited, or spoke to any of the families or anybody in the communities that are grieving amid these recent tragedies. Now, he did visit the family of Jacob Blake, who was the black man shot by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, last summer. Now, that was before he was president. Liberal media outlets spread the false narrative that Blake was unarmed and that Black Lives Matter movement seized on the shooting as evidence of its political narrative. Of course, that wasn't the truth. The news media just dropped that fact after it was revealed BLM was lying. They just said, oh, by the way, he didn't have a gun. He did visit Atlanta. After a shooter killed eight and wounded one at three different spas in that city back in March, he condemned the brutality against Asian Americans, although the shooter said he was motivated by fighting sexual addiction, not by race. But since then, Biden hadn't gone anywhere. Remember this November 21st, Darrell Brooks plowed into the Christmas parade goers in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Six have died, 62 others injured seriously. Yet last week, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that while the White House has been in touch with officials there, the president has no plans to visit the scene of the tragedy. It's not something that I have a trip to preview at this point in time, Psaki said, noting that any president going to visit a community requires a whole lot of assets and requires taking the local people's resources. That kind of goes along with it, don't you think? Well, after that tragedy in Walkershaw, Biden, he flew to North Carolina. He flew there to celebrate a Friendsgiving with U.S. troops, and then he jetted off to Nantucket for six days to celebrate Thanksgiving with his extended family at the private compound of a billionaire. Just last week, Ethan Crumbly shot and killed four fellow students, injured seven others, including a teacher at that high school in Oxford Township, Michigan. Biden has yet to visit the scene of the tragedy. The White House has not even published any plans for him to go there. Ten people were trampled to death at the World concert on November 5th down in Houston, Texas. Biden did go to Houston in February amid a devastating winter storm that ravaged the Lone Star State. He's not returned to Houston since. In September, 29-year-old Ook Thong allegedly killed one person, injured 13 others before taking his own life at a a Kroger grocery store in Collierville, Tennessee. Biden hadn't gone. In March, 21 year old Ahmad Ali Alawi Ali, Al Issa allegedly killed 10 people, including a police officer, in a shooting at King Supers in Boulder, Colorado. Biden flew to Colorado in September. He didn't go to Boulder. Instead, he was there and he touted his Build Back Better agenda at a renewable energy laboratory in Arvada. Just bringing all these things to your memory. Recently, the Biden administration reached a deal to re-implement the remain in Mexico policy. After Customs and Border Protection reported that law enforcement encountered more than 1.7 million illegal immigrants at the U.S.-Mexico border so far this year, this fiscal year, marking the highest number for a fiscal year on record. The president hasn't gone to the border, period close to being in office for one full year hasn't even gone. He's going to be traveling this week. He's going to Kansas City. Why? Well, there hadn't been a travesty there, but he's going to celebrate the $1 trillion infrastructure bill that he signed into law last month. It's all about Biden, folks. It's all about Joe. It's all about perpetuating all of the things that people on the left feel are necessary to keep Americans asleep and blind from the facts that are out there. Have you heard about this mainstream media? Bet you haven't. One of Biden's U.S. military base-turned-refugee camps is now, listen to this, Larger than half the towns in New Jersey's in terms of population. Now, this is from the New York Times. Fort Dix in New Jersey. It's just one of a bunch of military bases. The Biden administration has turned into quasi-refugee camps. More than 70,000 Afghans have been temporarily housed in Fort Dix after having been flown to the U.S., with hardly any vetting of their backgrounds at all. The Biden folks hope to bring a total of 95,000 Afghans to the U.S. with plans to resettle them across 46 states. Haven't been in conversations with the leaders in these 46 states. No plans. Of course, Biden's got plans, but he's going to force these people out there, period. At Fort Dix, 11,000 Afghans are currently being housed at the base with a constant stream arriving every week through the Philadelphia International Airport. The New York Times reported this. After fleeing Afghanistan as the Taliban seized power, she and her mother and four siblings were routed through Germany before they got to what has become known as Liberty Village, a community that swelled nearly overnight to hold a population larger than half the towns in New Jersey. It's the only location still accepting new Afghan arrivals from overseas. That's according to the Department of Homeland Security. It's likely to be among the last sites to shut down based on its housing capacity and its proximity to Philadelphia. That's the main U.S. port of entry for the new arrivals. As many as four-plane roads of Afghans continue to arrive in New Jersey every week from overseas safe havens where 3,300 people are waiting their turn to enter the U.S. To date, this is according to the data released through last Friday, the Biden administration has resettled roughly 36,000 Afghans across the U.S. since September, with another 37,000 Afghans still temporarily living on these U.S. military bases awaiting their resettlement. At Fort Dix, 3,500 Afghans have left the base for resettlement in the country. What role did Congress play in this? What role did the people's voices have in these decisions that have been made arbitrarily? How does that fit into the rule of law? What does the Constitution say? Well, I can tell you what it says. It says that no individual has this kind of authority. Nobody can do this. That's why we have the United States Congress. That's why we have 535 people up there They don't represent the people of Afghanistan. They don't represent anybody that lives at the 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue residence. One more bit with more, more, one more inclining to lean towards that than towards the American people. Joe Biden in that scenario is just one of us. And yet, this government, Democrat Party-led House, Democrat Party in power, in the Senate, they defer everything to Joe Biden. He's doing all of this without legislation authorizing it. He's not even revealing or talking about any of these things until after they've been done. You get this right. Now let me tell you what has begun to happen. First of all, there have been a multitude of these Afghan resettled people across the nation that have been committing crimes. Many of them very serious crimes. One of those Afghan people was arrested for raping a young girl. That's just one example. Basically, the media are covering up a bunch more. But forget about the immigration thing for just a moment. We've only got 15 minutes left in the show today. Let me drop another bomb on you. There's been a federal audit a federal audit found problems with 20% of Election Assistance Commission grants to aid states with 2020 voting amid the pandemic. You remember that last fall? Congress, when they approved the CARES Act, which was, we were told, the COVID-19 relief package, the Election Assistance Commission, they got a little bit of money, $400 million in grants. $326 $326 million of which has been accounted for so far. The Government Accountability Office, they're the watchdogs, the financial watchdogs of the U.S. government operations in all 50 states and even around the world. They reviewed how the Election Assistance Commission spent and monitored their grant money in a November report that was published over the weekend. It always comes over the weekend when nobody's looking or listening, right? House—excuse me. Whoever came up with a frog in your throat, (laughs) they had experienced this a bunch. I apologize. House Republicans started the look-see into all of this about these election grants back in September— Uh, They even started that in September of 2020, before the election, when all the money was coming in. The GAO's findings validate Republicans' concern that the problems run deeper than just one state. Representative Jane Comer, Republican from Kentucky, said this, The potential for abuse is very high. The EAC is supposed to be a watchdog, but it turns out it's been a bad actor itself, spending large sums of money with no transparency. The audit further determined the EAC allowed states to create 60 additional categories for spending the money rather than assigning expenditures to the assigned five categories. GAO found issues with how states and the EAC categorized expenditures involving nearly 20% of the total. As a result, in the annual grant expenditure report to Congress, states' expenditures for similar or the same items or activities could be included under multiple categories, making it difficult to consistently determine by category how states spent the grant money. It's another case of deflection. Hide it make it harder for anybody to find. So what does that mean? You've got a Democrat representation in control across the board in federal government. They appoint and confirm anybody and everybody they want to serve in these various administrations at the top and even in senior level positions. It's kind of like the wolf guarding the hen house, right? The GAO found that out, that little bit they found out and released it to the American people. How many billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars and all of this massive multi-trillion dollars worth of legislation, the give, giveaways, these programs that have happened in this administration, how much of that do we not know for sure where it went? Remember, Biden, Obama in, in the White House in power, First term, almost a trillion dollars in shovel ready job funding. Remember that? Half of it. We don't know where the money went. It's no big deal to those that are pulling these strings up there. No big deal at all because it all just comes clean in the wash. What is the wash? It's elections. When it's elections, people, new players come into the picture, new players take over, and most, if not all, of all the bad stuff that happened in the past that very little of is being brought to the accountability stage, but even when that happens, when the new folks come in, it all goes away. They just very quietly turn the lights off on all of those issues, and in most cases, we never found out what the truths are. Meanwhile, as you know, the Supreme Court last week, they came out and had oral arguments for and against abortion, that Mississippi bill, the Mississippi bill that banned abortions after a certain segment of gestation. Many see that law getting all the way to the Supreme Court being the one that will actually challenge the validity, the legality of Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade, of course, is that famous case from the 1970s, which supposedly codified a woman's right to have an abortion across the nation. The word abortion, by the way, is not even mentioned in Roe v. Wade. It's not in writing anywhere. But those who are pro-choice, they've grabbed that, that particular finding and subsequent renderings when that law has been challenged in cases through the years, That's the benchmark for them that says that is the authorization for abortion, period. It's being challenged, and they're scared to death that it's going to be overturned. We won't get the results from the Supreme Court, probably. Now, they can at any time, but it's doubtful they're going to do it until close to the end of their term, which happens in June. We probably won't hear anything, but meantime... The fact that it appeared in the oral arguments that, in fact, there were conservative justices on the court that asked questions and then even asked follow-up questions that makes it appear like maybe, just maybe, the court's going to come down on the side of authorizing the Mississippi law to be used. And in the midst of that, the fear of that happening, the growing push by Democrats to reshape the Supreme Court. You know, during the campaign, it was discussed heavily. They were talking about packing the courts. In other words, it's not right to not be able to control the Supreme Court. So we need to make sure it's never got a majority of conservatives on the port again. So they want to pack the court. In other words, add more justices that this president would nominate and this Senate, controlled by Democrats would confirm they're raising the cries again and this is coming when many people are out there and this scares Democrats even worse many people are out there are saying hey it looks like this court is going to take on or tackle maybe not all of but at least this part of Roe v. Wade and make it okay for Mississippi to ban abortions after 15 weeks of gestation. Folks, getting rid of Roe v. Wade won't make abortion illegal across the country. What it will do is turn that back to the different states. Each state would decide. So if you live in a state and you want to get an abortion, even if this is determined that abortions are not legal, which I don't think it would... But even if it did, that doesn't mean you can't go to another state and have an abortion if you want to. You can always watch what's really on the hearts of people in politics based upon the way they respond to things that come down in politics. You know what I mean? Don't listen so much to what they say. Watch what they do. And when they go after anybody or anything with which they disagree and they get real nasty, you can bet it. They're very scared to death. Or, and sometimes it's and, they are dead set to get their way and they don't care what the cost of getting their way actually is. I'm pretty sure that when uh, Kamala Harris was running for vice president, She wanted for people to be talking a lot about her after the election, but not in the way she's being talked about right now. Every day we get more reports of people that are in her administration, in her office, and that's because more key members working in that office are eyeing the exits. A handful of staffers have already called it quits in the last couple of weeks. It was announced last week Harris's senior advisor, Simone Sanders, is going to leave her post at the end of the year, according to people familiar with the conversations on resignations, and now we're told more people are headed out the door. Fox News contributor Joe Concha, he called Harris's office a sinking ship. Following Sanders' announcement pointing to her approval ratings, one poll shows her approval rating at 28% while he had a 46% approval upon taking office. I guess when your boss's approval ratings are at 28% and she's polling even lower on her number one job, the U.S. southern border where migrants continue to flow over, 2 million passing over this year, I guess I would leave two because this is a sinking ship. Concha said that in an interview over the weekend. Reports have also swirled for months that Harris's office is toxic. People are thrown under the bus from the very top. They're short fuses. It's an abusive environment, one person said. It's not a healthy environment, and people often feel mistreated. It's not a place where people feel supported, but a place where people feel treated like the S word. There are even reports out there that it is being tested, the process of replacing a vice president, which could be done. How would it happen? That's all being discussed supposedly very quietly, but not so quietly now, folks. Hey, Monday at TNN Live, let's put it in the record books. It's gone. We will be back tomorrow, back every day this week. Much, much more talk about And it's not all bad stuff, folks. Remember this. This is the time of the season in which we celebrate the greatest thing that ever happened to the Christian world. Jesus was born.